All right. Have you ever heard this Bible verse? It's become so commonplace that a lot of people may not even know that it's in the Bible. But it goes something like this. Depending on the translation, depending on who's quoting it, it goes something like this. That pride comes before destruction. That a, a proud or a haughty spirit comes before the fall. Anybody ever heard that? It's from Proverbs. And it's, it's often quoted, like I said, a lot of people quote it, don't even know they're quoting the Bible. But it's a true statement that when we get puffed up, that we better look out because there's going to be some struggles coming. And I want you to think about that for just a second. Um, I told you, uh, some of you have heard my story about uh, what happened here with my nice little cast that I've got. It's coming off, Lord willing, on Tuesday. Woo! I'm excited about that. Um, I had it on about six, seven weeks or so. I had to have surgery. had to have a screw put in this tiny little bone in my wrist. And man, um, how it happened was on Sunday, it's sort of like my, my therapy is to go out and ride my bike. And we have a trail in our neighborhood that connects to Mingo Creek Trail, and that connects to the Noose River Trail. And so a lot of times I'll spend Sunday afternoons just riding miles and miles and miles, and I love it. It's so cool. So about six, seven weeks ago, I was getting ready to go, and it just a downpour came on Sunday. So I was kind of bummed. But then the sun came out, and, man, it started clearing off. And I was like, I waited a little while later. I was like, cool, I'm going to go and ride my bike. I go out there. On the way out the door, my 13-year-old Daniel, he's right there, he, he warned me. He rides on that trail in our neighborhood all the time, and I do too. But he's like, hey, Dad, just be careful. Sometimes when it, after it rains, that thing is really slick. And so I go down. I'm riding my bike, getting ready to get on out of our neighborhood. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of taking it slow. I usually fly through there because if you ever go on this little trail, it's like a real steep drop hill to go onto it. And then it's just like curves. And so I feel like I'm like a BMX racer on my bike. I may or may not make the noises. Y'all be the judge of that. I won't tell you that for sure. Like that, right that. Um, but no, I usually like it flying through there, and it's like a slalom course, and I usually have a great time, and then I get on the big trails and go ride. Well, I, I kind of took it easier because, hey, you know, he told me, it's like, yeah, be careful, Dad. It's rain, and those things get slick after the rain. But then as I got on there, the asphalt, it was doing good. My bike was handling, so I, I picked up a little speed as gravity kind of took me down. You know, that's the cool thing, too. You don't have to pedal as much. It's just fun to just kind of cruise through there. And I forgot for a split second about this wooden footbridge that's on the trail. And it's in a curve, going into a curve. The bridge curves, and it actually goes into a curve coming out of it. And so I'm going down this thing, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I see that bridge. I, I hit it for like, I mean, it's like 10, 12 feet long is all. I come along, I get to that bridge, and then, like, like I got shot. It was crazy. I mean, it literally, my bike just went, boom, completely. The wheels cut out from under me. It wasn't like I was struggling, oh, I might save this thing. It was like, bam! I mean, just wheels came out this way. My whole body hit the asphalt as I was coming off the wood bridge. It hits the asphalt, and I got tore up all down the side, all down my elbow. You still see the scars. Got road rash on my shoulder and even hit my head on the asphalt. Yes, I'm a dummy. Don't wear a helmet. Um... <clears throat> but anyway, that's a whole other story. But in the same time, the handlebars came around so fast, it broke my left wrist. My right side hit the ground, but the handlebars did a complete 180 and broke my left wrist. And I'm not going to tell you, I wasn't like coming, I wasn't getting on my bike saying, oh yeah, ain't nothing going to stop me. You know, I wasn't like that. I wasn't saying that. I wasn't all that proud and that stuff. But I sort of had this confidence that Hey, I've done this for years and years and years. I used to do like real trail riding, like dirt, jumping over stuff. I'm good. I, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I wasn't bragging. I wasn't boasting. I wasn't saying, oh, whatever. Just, you know, ignore Daniel, what he warned me about. I wasn't doing that. But still, the truth is, is that the more confident you become, if you start to get into that pride thing, you better watch out because what? Things can happen. 
because you don't pay attention. And that's what this parable is talking about. Luke chapter 18. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. And it just starts out, this part of this parable, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. I, I, I think of it as simply that verse, pride comes before the fall. And what it says in verse 18, excuse me, chapter 18, verse 9. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. I mean, this is a, a crazy way to start this passage. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you can imagine him pointing out this guy that's standing over near him who had come to the temple to pray as well. He goes on, he says in verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look before up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So you've got these two guys praying in very different postures. Now, it was a common thing for the Jews to stand praying. That wasn't really all that, you know, out of the ordinary. But this Pharisee, this Jewish religious lawyer, if you will, he's a teacher of the law. He stands up and he's like, oh, God. It's me. Yeah, you knew. You knew it was me, right, God? I mean, this is my paraphrase here, but this is sort of the vibe that he's given. God, it's your favorite boy. I'm here to talk to you. If you were a little bit worried about handling everybody's problems, God, I'm here for you if you need me. Just call me, right? That's sort of the, the vibe that he's given. He's saying, I'm here. And he said, I thank God that I'm not like all these. And he lists off several different types of sin, and especially like this tax collector. Now, last week, if you weren't dozing during the message, I talked about tax collectors a little bit. Tax collectors were hated by pretty much everybody. And we can sort of relate to that. You know, we don't like paying taxes and we think our taxes are too high. And, you know, we can understand that. But for them, it was even another level, especially for the Jewish people, because if it, especially if it was a Jewish person who was a tax collector, which in this story, this would be a Jewish guy that Jesus is talking about praying in the temple. A Jewish person who would sell out his people and go and collect taxes for the Romans was an extra kind of dirty. You know, I mean, they would have said Samaritans way down here, tax collectors. It just depends. Maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. You know, they were not even considered human because they would steal from their own people. Because as I shared last week, tax collectors wouldn't just take the taxes that they were told to take. They were given freedom to take whatever else they wanted to off the top. So if your tax bill was 10 denarii, 10 days wages, they could say, okay, 10 for the Romans and 10 for me, so give me 20. And you really had no recourse. You had no way to fight because the Romans were like, yeah, that's cool. You can do that. And so people hated him. And so in a sense, a lot of people, as they hear this story, as and who was he telling this story to? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. When they said Pharisee and tax collector, some of the people were like, yeah. I agree with the Pharisee. That tax collector, you know, he's worthless. He's nothing. He is disgusting. And so they prayed two different ways. The, the Pharisee stood up, hands up, look at me, God, I'm good. And the tax collector stood there and says he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He kept his head down, and he's just beating his chest, saying, Dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then look at verse 14. 
I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus tells the story, and who knows where everybody was mentally and spiritually as they're hearing this story. But I bet you a lot of people were surprised. A lot of people were surprised. Now, the Pharisees were not always the most popular people in the world, but they were respected. They were feared even, because you didn't want to get on the wrong side of a Pharisee. And so to hear, that once again, the Pharisee was the, the, the anti-hero in the story, and the hero was the tax collector, the, the person who was thought of as the worst thing you could be, except maybe a Samaritan. It, it's mind-blowing. It turns the world upside down and flips everything on its head. So Jesus is telling this story. And here's a few things I want us to draw out of it really quickly. The first overall set of ideas is this. How to be condemned by God. If anybody came today looking for how to be condemned by God, I got answers for you, okay? All right, y'all see where I'm going with this? Everybody nod your head, okay. All right, but if you want to know how to be condemned by God, you can find it in this passage. Everybody look along with me. There in verse 9, you find the first point. Trust your goodness. Trust your goodness. If you want to be condemned by God, trust your goodness. It said there in verse 9, what? He told the story to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. You see... You may say, well, why in the world would I do that? But I guarantee you that if you're breathing, you probably felt at some time or another, I'm a pretty good person. And as we're going to get into in just a little bit, you, because you tend to compare yourself to other people. I tend to compare myself to other people. And if you look hard enough and use your standards, you're going to find people that are worse than you, and you can put yourself up a little bit higher. But if you want to be condemned by God, then trust your own goodness. And here's why it's really dangerous. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says this, that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. You know what it said there? It didn't say all the bad things you've done. It didn't say all the sins you've committed. It doesn't say all the times that you were hateful and hurtful to other people. It doesn't mean all the times that you cut people off and you showed them how many friends you had before your dog died. You might get that. I'll explain it to you later. I haven't always been a preacher. But anyway... It doesn't matter what, it's not saying all those bad things you've done. It's not saying any of that. It says all of your what? Righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. All of your righteous things, all the good things that you do, if you want to stack them up and say, God, look at all these good deeds I've done. He says they are disgusting in the sight of God. And if you've heard most preachers, if you've heard me, I've taught on this passage before at different times, but the idea here is it's menstrual rags. Is the word that's used here. He's saying all of your righteous deeds are unclean before God. So if you want to stack up your good deeds, then you have to understand these things are not good. Your good deeds don't mean anything. So your goodness means nothing. And a lot of people are going to say that. A lot of people say, I'm a good person, but they may or may not say this part, but I reject Jesus. They may not say it with their lips, but they say it with their life. And I've met so many people who were just like, I'm a good old boy, you know. I look out for other people. I'm kind to my neighbors. I, you know, I pay taxes to use that. You know, I'm a good citizen. I'm a good person, but I don't need Jesus. And there are people that are within the church that kind of carry that idea. They may not ever say, I don't need Jesus, but they still look at how good they are and think, I'm okay. Because they don't understand the grace of God. 
And it's an easy trap to fall into to start counting good deeds versus bad deeds. And that's what Islam teaches, that at the end of your days, that your good deeds and your bad deeds will be put on a scale. And whichever one is heavier determines how you spend your eternity. But thankfully, we have the grace of God that covers over even what we think of as good deeds that are still unclean before God. And here's something that we have to understand. With Jesus, if you want Jesus as Lord and Savior... It's trading a life for life. You cannot stay alive and give your life to Jesus. You cannot stay alive and have Jesus' life in place of yours. Because you have to give up your life to get his life. And that's why we can't worry about our own goodness or count our own goodness. Here's the second way that you can... Look, I'm not doing three. I just can't bend my thumb. Don't judge me. Second way that you can make sure that you get condemned by God is to look down on others. Look at verse 9 again. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. If you want to be judged by God, if you want to be condemned by God, look down on other people. What you have to remember is you can never forget that you're a sinner saved by grace. If you are a Christian, that you are a sinner saved by grace. And I believe the danger that many of us fall into is the farther we move away from the time when we gave our life to Jesus, the more we forget just how much we need Jesus. I didn't say needed, past tense. I said need Jesus. And you and I need to remember that is that yes, we grow. Yes, the Holy Spirit becomes a part of our life when we're baptized into Christ, when we surrender to him. And yes, there's sanctification, which just means becoming holy. But we still always need Jesus because we couldn't even start the process of holiness without the grace and the goodness of God. You've probably heard many times before, it didn't originate with me, but that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That nobody stands any higher than another person when they stand at the foot of the cross. And I, I would challenge you with this statement. The only time that we should look down on other people is to reach down and pull them up. Yes, there's a time for pointing out sin. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus taught on that in, in Matthew chapter 7. Yes, we need to point out that people are in danger and they need to repent. And they need to turn their life over to God. I'm not saying we ignore sin because people have to have conviction before there's any repentance. I'm not saying any of that, but instead of looking down on people and using them as a way to push ourselves up higher to hopefully get God's attention and be like that, oh God, here I am, aren't you, aren't you thankful for me? Instead of doing that, the only time we need to really look down on people is to reach down and give them a hand to pull them up closer to Jesus. And that's the attitude that you and I have to take, to not look down on others. Well, if you want to know the third way, you can do that. If you want to know the third way to be condemned by God, it's this. Pray empty words. I can be very guilty of that. Have you ever been praying? And at night, especially in your bed, and that next morning you had to wake up and say amen? <laughs> You're like, dear God, I, I just this is on my heart, and I want you to be... You ever been there? Done that? Oh, you don't snore? Right. <laughs> but, you know, there's times that we don't even think about what we're praying. And not even when we're falling asleep. I'm just saying there's so many times that I'm praying and then my, I'm just like squirrel. And, and my mind just goes off and I'm not thinking about what I'm praying. And I've just said a bunch of words, but they've been empty. 
And even more so, what I'm talking about is about praying empty words like it says there in verse 11. It says the Pharisee, Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. The Greek literally says it in this way. The Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. Jesus said the Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. He didn't pray to God. He prayed so that everybody who might be around would hear him and, and be amazed at his holiness. And I'm here to tell you that that's easy for us to fall into too. How many times have you prayed about something in your life, a decision you want to make, and you know that you've already made your mind up? And you're just going through the motions of asking God. Even if it's a sin, guilty, I've done that. There have been times in my life when I've done that. We say, oh, I, you know, I'm going to ask God, I'm going to pray about that. That's the Christian way of not telling somebody no. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, come on, Michelle. Don't act innocent. <laughs> We've probably all done that. You know, somebody's like, hey, can you help out? Uh, you know, this is going to sound like I'm biased, but, you know, my wife, she's oversees the children's ministry. Hey, would you like to help out with the children's ministry? Well, I'm going to pray about that. Wink, wink. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm just kidding here. But, you know, I'm serious, though. But we do that, don't we? People ask us. You know, people ask us to do things. And we say, I'm going to pray about that. But we've already got our mind up. But how many times have we prayed to God for, for guidance, but we've already made up our mind? And here's what we're simply asking. Here's, if you wanted to interpret our prayer, here's the way it would sound. God, I'm going to do this. Make it work out or not hurt too bad. Is that true? If it's not, then y'all need to be preaching instead of me. But there's been times that we've probably prayed a prayer like that. You know, God, I'm going to do this. I've made up my mind. I'm just asking that you make it work out right or you make it not hurt too bad. And you and I have to realize that if we're really talking to the God of the universe, then he knows more than we do. And we don't need to treat him flippantly and we don't need to treat him callously. And we need to engage our brains and I need to struggle and fight for that just as much as anybody. We also need to do this next idea. Number four. Four. Compare yourself to others, not Scripture. Compare yourself to others, not Scripture. If you want to be condemned, compare yourself to others, not Scripture. This guy, he looked at everybody. He said, here's all these sinners that are so bad and so wicked, especially this tax collector. God, look at me. He wanted to compare himself to others. And what we are called to do is compare ourselves to Scripture if we do not want to be condemned. Because as I said earlier, we can always find our version of tax collectors. And we can always find our version of sinners to make our proud hearts feel better. Am I right? You can always find somebody who's more messed up than you to make you feel better about yourself without you repenting as well. And then my next little sub-point under this one is to make sure, you know, compare yourself to others if you want to be condemned rather than the Scripture is this. It's just simply this, and I, I, I'll show you if you want to see it. But it just says Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Bible, Bible, Bible. I, I feel like a broken record sometimes because, you know, I, I say that a lot. But so many people out there are going to tell you they've got the answers. But if their answers aren't coming from the Bible, then you need to run away and you need to run to the Bible. You and I need to find God's Word and put the mirror of God's Word up to ourselves. 
and see how we measure up to the word, not to other people, because there's always going to be other people that we can feel better about ourselves and still miss the mark of Scripture by miles and miles and miles. We want to be a Bible-believing and reading and studying and sharing church. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We need to spend time in God's Word if we want to make sure that we're not condemned. Now, you're already, I'm tipping my hand a little bit here, right? This whole how to be condemned thing is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right? The last one is this. I can do it with this hand, too. Keep spiritual score. Look at verse 12. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Keep spiritual score. If you want to be condemned, keep spiritual score because that helps you build up your spiritual resume so you can say, God, you deserve, uh, I, you know, I deserve you, you deserve me. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good lady. You know, keep spiritual score. Many times, those things that he mentioned were good things, right? You know, it was good to give a tenth of all he had. It was good to fast, but, you know, the, the law talked about fasting, I believe, once a year, if I'm not mistaken. I might be off on that. But he said, I fast twice a week. And the schedule of everybody being around the city of Jerusalem a lot of times was twice a week. And so chances are he fasted when there was a big crowd around. Oh boy, look at me, I'm fasting today. You know, and he was just proud of it. It wasn't anything where he was growing spiritually. And so here's the reason that it's dangerous. When we focus on the good we've done, we quickly forget the goodness of God. When we focus on the good that we've done, we quickly forget the goodness of God. And that's what's so dangerous about it. And here's the thing you got to understand. The Pharisee was doing good things. It's no, you know, Jesus wasn't saying don't do those things, but what he's saying is this. The good things were just that. They were good. But the things that you do to serve God are to bring glory to God, not you and me. That's the kicker. The, the good things that you do to bring glory to God are just that. To bring glory to God, not to yourself. You know, and Jesus taught about fasting. He said, when you fast, do it quietly. Let no one even really know. Fast and let it be between you and God. Don't make a big show of it. And, you know, many times they would make a big deal about their offerings that they would give. And they would, you know, make sure they bring, you know, no coin shortage there, right? Pour all those gold coins in, you know, into the offering pot. Because a lot of times it was metal. They wanted everybody to know, look at me. You know, they would even have people blow trumpets sometimes as they got ready to put their offering in. And it's a dangerous thing when the good things that you do are supposed to be bringing glory to God, but you're standing in the way saying, ooh, 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 look at me. That's what Jesus is saying. All right, so let's end this on a positive note. First, first five things I said were how to be condemned, right? But did you get the opposite point on there and how not to be? We're going to hammer it home here. How to be justified. If you look at the last part of that passage, verse 14, he says, I tell you that this man, the sinner, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And I, I teach you a little thing that you may or may not have heard before. But if you want to remember what justified really means, a good simple way to do it is to break that word down. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. And that's the way God wants to make you and I. Not better, not a little bit better than you were last week. He wants to make it just as if you'd never sinned. And Jesus alone can do that. And so the ways that you do that are just a couple, real quick. The first one is this. Be humble before God. Be humble before God. Look at verse 13. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven. 
but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The ultimate thing that you and I have to do is humble ourselves before God and not try to come with our own scorebook, not try to come with our own goodness, not try to come comparing ourselves to others, but come before God and humbly bow our lives down before him. And the way that you know, more than just body language, because you can do a lot of things with body language, but the heart and the mind and, and all that stuff doesn't back it up, right? So more than just body language, the way that you know how to humble yourself before God is, guess what? Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. You see what God's Word says about how to live your life and how to submit and surrender your life to God. And then I'll say this next thing. It doesn't come from this passage, but I think we see it in the words there. I simply describe it as this. Live Micah 6, verse 8 out. Live Micah 6, verse 8 out. It says there, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's the way that we're called to live our lives if we want to bring glory to God and not to ourselves. Even with the good things we do. He simply said three simple things that are so powerfully, used so powerfully and so mightily here in God's Word. To act justly. Our world is full of injustice. Am I right? I mean, you cannot turn on the television today or get on the Internet without seeing the injustice that creeps up in small ways and in big ways. And I'm here to tell you the only way that any of that is going to change is under the Lordship of Jesus. That's the only way real change is ever going to happen. And the only way that I can start is if those of us who are already under the Lordship of Jesus would completely humble and surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus and act justly with the people that we meet. Because we will not change institutions overnight, but we can start by changing our mind and heart by allowing the Holy Spirit to work on us and change the way that we treat other people. So act justly to people that you know and people that you don't know. Do the best and think the best for them. He says to love mercy. We love to receive mercy, don't we? We love to receive mercy. And just as much as you love to receive it, make sure you share it with other people. Like we talked about the story a few weeks ago about the unmerciful servant who was forgiven the great debt that he never could pay off. But as soon as he got out and was set free and shown mercy, he went out and did what? Through somebody who owed a, a very small debt compared to his right in prison, would not show mercy. And oftentimes that's the way we are as Christians. We don't want to be done wrong, even though we've done the Almighty God wrong. And He's forgiven us greatly. So show mercy to other people. Show mercy to your spouse, to your coworkers, to your children, to your neighbors, to the jerk that cuts you off at Walmart, right? Yeah, because that's where most offenses happen is at Walmart. <laughs> and then lastly, that part of Micah 6, 8 is walk humbly with your God. Other versions of that word say prudently, walk wisely, walk smartly, walk wisely and humbly with your God. Every day make your determination to be, I'm going to humble myself before God because every single day our pride and our arrogance creeps up and we start getting a little farther away from the cross from the time when we encountered Jesus for the first time and we start to become prideful and arrogant and we start to be judgmental and use other people as our spiritual stepping stones to lift us up. But it says to walk humbly with our God. You see, to give you the context of Micah, God is writing to the Old Testament covenant people of Israel through Micah the prophet. And 
The people had forgotten God's command. They were focused on the religious acts without the heart behind it. They were offering the different sacrifices and doing the different things, but their hearts weren't in it. And if you notice as we've been studying Jesus' parables, that that's a lot of Jesus' teaching. Is don't get so caught up in the emotions that you forget the heart and the emotions behind it. What drives you? Forget the love for God and the love for people. Is you have to have both. It has to be hand in hand. This past week when we went away for a few days to the mountains with family, um, Josiah begged to get in a kayak or a canoe. We found this little inexpensive place to rent a, a kayak. And we did uh, what most people advise against. We got in a tandem uh, kayak. You know, if you are married or dating or engaged, they call those things divorce boats. <laughs> because, they call them divorce boats because you got to have two people working in sync to try to paddle and usually end up going in circles or tipping over. And so I got in there with my 10-year-old, and thankfully I've grown a little bit. I didn't fly off the handle and throw him in the water. I, I've grown up. I'm mature because the first time that Sherry and I got in when we were dating, I'm surprised we're married. Because we were dating, we got in a, in a tandem canoe, a two-person canoe, and man, it was like World War III. We were just fighting, you know, fighting. I don't know why we didn't hit each other in the head with the paddles, but we didn't. We spared. But it did good, but it was so cool, and it was, it was so neat to see he and I get in sync, and he learned really quickly how to use that paddle for that kayak. And he was working in the front, and I was working in the back, and we got in a rhythm. And it took a little bit of work. It took a little bit of effort. But you and I need that. We need to have the actions of our faith, but we also need to have the heart behind it, working hand in hand if we're going to make any headway and moving forward in the kingdom. So don't fall into that same trap that the people that were being spoken to in Micah fell into. Don't just get caught up in the actions without the heart and the mind behind it. So here's the last little thing. To be justified before God is to humble yourself rather than be humble. Because the scripture speaks really plainly in Philippians, in one, for one place in particular, that it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's going to be a day that every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess when Jesus returns and you won't have an option. So the option to take is to do it now. Humble yourself now before God so that it will not happen and you have no reward from it. You don't get to spend eternity in God's presence if you do it, if you wait until the end. So take off yourself and put on Jesus. That's what you have to do. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, Paul writes, he says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So if you want to be clean and seen as holy and new and justified, and righteous, then you have to put on Jesus because your good deeds, my good deeds are like filthy rags and we can't do enough good if you want to be seen as whole and pure and justified just as if you never sinned, then God has to look at you and see Jesus. And the scripture talks about that as when we have faith in Christ that we put on Christ in baptism. That the old man is gone, the new is put on. The old woman is gone, the new woman is put on. And we put on Jesus. And then spend the rest of your days figuring out how, how to humbly walk with your God, to act justly and love mercy so that other people can see Jesus in me. I want to take a couple moments. I want to give you an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for you. If you're a Christian today, we get the pleasure and the opportunity to remember the body and the blood of Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. 
And we're going to do that in these next few moments with communion. So if you don't have elements, you can go and get them off this table over here. And we're going to spend some time realizing that Jesus paid it all for you and I. And that we don't have to be good enough anymore. Because he is good even when we are not. And that when you surrendered your life to him, you take these emblems, you take this wafer that represents his body, and when you take this juice that represents his blood, it reminds you that Jesus has made you whole and new and justified, just as if you'd never sinned. So celebrate that. But let it be a reminder that there are so many other people who need to hear that same message. Let it refuel you and refill you to go and share the news with other people that Jesus died so that they could be justified as well. Take a few moments. Take communion when you're ready. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Father, your body and your blood is precious. You gave your one and only Son to justify us, those that were lost in sin. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we pray, Father, that we would live lives surrendered to you so that other people would see new life and know that they can have it too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.